Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Dreisler Show. This episode, we're going to talk to my good friend, Martin Fell, who was a pastor for many years and then went through some deconstruction and in turn was um, basically asked to no longer be a pastor by his denomination. And so, well, not even asked, he was told, you are no longer a pastor. Um, and so we're going to hear some of his story, hear some of the ups, hear some of the downs, um, and probably talk random theology as we go. Martin is a very uh, knowledgeable guy, very opinionated guy, uh, a good friend of mine, and uh, I'm sure this will be a great conversation. So let's dive in. Also, just a heads up, Martin does not have a great internet connection when we make this uh, conversation. There was uh, no other way around it, unfortunately. And so um, you may find a couple of points, um, it'll stutter or, or the audio will break up. Um, on the whole, the message kind of carries through, but uh, apologies if it's a bit frustrating, a couple of points. Um, I've done my best to edit it down so it flows nice and uh, easy, but uh, yeah, there's still a couple of jumps. Cool, should we get cracking? I don't, how much time have you got? Are, we, are yeah, you okay sure, for yeah. time or? Till, till 12. Till yeah, 12. Kathy's got a, a session at 12. All right, well, let's yeah. get cracking then, because uh, what does that give That's us? That's her hand saying minutes? hello. Hey, Kathy. Hello. Good to see you. See your hand at least. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, let's get cracking it because uh, yeah, we only have an hour or twenty minutes, and I know that both of us can talk forever. Um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Maybe give yourself uh, give people an idea of who you are, um, and then we can kind of talk a bit about your journey and then whatever theological stuff we end up going into. Um, yeah. But yeah, like okay, then. who are you? Where? What's some of your journey that's led you to here? The condensed version. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm. Uh... Yeah, okay. Well, I live in York in the UK. I was born in Newcastle. Um, I came to York um, and to go to university and after living back in Newcastle for years, for a few years, decided to, to settle in York. Um, I was born, well, I'm from a pretty middle-class background, a posh commuter town just outside of Newcastle when I was 10 at church that was considered pretty lively. So, uh, but I wasn't really that interested in the spiritual aspect. I really went to the youth group because my brother, who I really looked up to, said it was good. And there, there was a reputation of having lots of uh, girls there. So <laughs> basically that was my motivation for, for, for going, just, just as a social thing. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really much spiritual content in it, but we did, we did sort of have a quote, worship time uh, every week. And really, I suppose I've been going about six months. I was 14 um, and we were singing a song. And uh, as we sung that song about Jesus, I just felt uh, just a, a wave of sort of love and forgiveness sort of flow through my body. So I didn't pray any prayer or anything like that, but, but I, I knew I was different from that point on um but i didn't know what had happened to it to me because the sort of the gospel what really wasn't explained in that right. group and it was only and i woke up the next morning feeling absolutely uh you know just completely clean completely loved mm. um my behavior and my language uh, and everything changed overnight but i didn't realize what it was and then uh, after about six months, I actually approached one of the leaders of the youth group and said, uh, you know, I explained my experience and basically said, oh, you've become a Christian, you know, 
basically left it at that. But um, but from that time, I just spontaneously, you know, wanted um, wanted to pray and um, started reading the Bible. Nobody told me to do these things. I just oh. I just uh, I just wanted to. And within the limited framework of of that of that context, uh, I sort of uh, I grew pretty much in my relationship with God steadily. A lot of my friends around that time had the same experience as me, so uh, we introduced a lot of things into the, the youth group that had never been done before. We organized a prayer group. Uh, we asked whether the leaders would allow two or three people of the youth to come onto the committee that decided the program. Mm. So so I, I was invited to do that. So within that framework, you know, we were, we were considered the sort of... Uh, the keen ones you know yeah and that that really that carried on until um 1981 when i went away to um to college to study in huddersfield that was initially but when i got to huddersfield i couldn't find any churches that that suited me that i liked the yeah. methodist churches in huddersfield which was my first port of call were seemed even dead to the one <laughs> at home well, I did get involved with the Christian Union um, at, at Huddersfield. And uh, after a couple of weeks, after a few weeks, uh, one of the guys from the Christian Union said, uh, why don't you come and try our church? And that was, um, that was when the house church movement in the UK was exploding. Right, okay. So that was like the charismatic house church. Gosh. And like the first week I went there, I thought this is, this is home for me, you know. Yeah, and I just I liked everything about it, um, the worship, and nobody had sort of prayed for me to speak in tongues or anything. But when they started singing in tongues, I, I just did it, you know. So wow. all my experience has ha- have been nobody's sort of uh, prayed for me, or you know, I haven't said a prayer myself. It, it's just it's been spontaneous. Mm. So yeah. I um, I absolutely. Uh, I'm not the type of person who goes at everything I do full bore. So I just d- dived uh, into that with everything I had. And um, people recognized from, a, from, from then that I sort of had what they called a prophetic gift thing. So I was sharing stuff that I felt that God was saying to me, you know, at, at, in those meetings. Sure. I was sort of only 18 at the time. So, and I think, I think they were sort of, uh, uh, identifying some sort of leadership thing in me. So I was sort of being, uh, groomed or steered in that direction. So that's, that's what happened there. And then, and then, um, but the course that I was doing there just really wasn't suited to me and I was really bad at it. So Mm. I left. I left Huddersfield after after my first year because I failed the course and right. I came back home. And uh, I came back home with a very uh, arrogant and immature attitude. Um, sort of, I went to the leaders of the Methodist Church and the leaders of the youth group and told them they were all wrong. And <laughs> you know, why aren't they doing this? You know, why you know why don't they believe in the Holy Spirit? You know, blah blah blah. Sure. You know, and I. I was, I was probably right in what I was saying, but it, I had a terrible attitude, you know. 
Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's, that's a teenage thing, isn't it? You, you find out yeah. new things at 18 and you're like, well, I finally figured it out. And why are all these people wrong? I need to fix it for them. <laughs> uh, yeah. You could put any kind of like model in that package and a teenager's going to probably turn around and go, mom, dad, you're wrong. Why are you telling me this, sir? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah the problem that's is, funny. is that the town I was living in is quite isolated mm. and I didn't drive at the time. So, so I hadn't You're limited nowhere options. to go. So for about a year, I was sort of, um, I had no church to go to. So I was just sort of uh, doing my own thing, like spiritually and stuff. Mm. And really, um, I, I, I didn't know what to do because the only two things I was really good at was sport and, uh, and cooking. And I, um, the course that I'd done in Huddersfield was a catering course. And I right. bombed out of that. And I didn't know whether you could do sport as a career unless you were a professional sportsman, which I wasn't good enough to be. Yeah. So I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know where my future was. And then one of my old teachers from school, I did quite a lot of coaching during that time at my old high school, mm. sports coaching with younger children. And one of the teachers said, oh, you know, um, there's a place in York that's doing, um, you know, degrees in, in sports that are not teaching degrees. You should look into that. So I applied for that and got in. Um, so I came to York in 1983 to study sports science. And okay. uh, you, it, it, all the courses at that time were joint courses. So I had to pick another subject. So I picked theology. So hmm. I did a joint degree in sports science and theology. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> an interesting I was the combo. only one in the whole university that, that did that course. Yeah, that, that doesn't so, surprise me, that. Uh, <laughs> that's that's so a that, funny that's, combo. That's what led me to York. Mm. And I absolutely love the course. And um, there's, there's, a, there's like um, a big um, sort of charismatic evangelical um, Church of England church in York. Quite famous course. St. Like my students from Christian students went there. But um, my experiences of Huddersfield, one of the things they taught you was that uh, all denominations were sort of bad and wrong and, you know, spiritually dead. So I didn't really want right. to go there. So I found a little independent um, charismatic house church in York that I went, I went to from my first week there um, right until I left. Oh, wow. And... Uh, there's two universities in York, St. John's and the university, and the students don't really mix apart from at church. And um, it was at church that I met my first wife. Um, she, she was at the university, but, but went to the same church. So we sort mm. of started dating, then got engaged, and, 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 uh, and that was that bit of my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so um, this whole time when you when you chose so again, theology, sort of, were you thinking I was being identified? Sorry. Sorry, I think we've got a big gap between us, so time wise. So that's a interesting dynamic. <laughs> um, but what what was your thought in picking theology? Was it just I want to learn more, I want to develop more, or were you thinking, oh, actually, I'm not sure what I'll do with science, uh, the sports science stuff. Maybe I want to go into some sort of theological church thing like what was your what was your thinking between picking theology at university uh well at, at the time um sports 
that was going to be my career. So I, I was envisaging myself becoming a fitness instructor, personal trainer. My ambition really was to own my own gym, which it actually was fulfilled in the end. Theology was, was, just, uh, was just an interest, really. Mm. Um, I had no desire at that time for, for church leadership and, and, um, or anything like that. I just I knew I had a sort of prophetic gifting and um, I was developing like a worship leading gift. Theology course, there was like um, a group of people who were Christians and a group of people who were um, non-believers and were just studying um, theology as an academic subject. Mm. And we just argued all the time about the same things, you know. You know, argue whether the Bible was the word of God, whether miracles really happened and stuff like that. And like, at the end of the four years, none of us had changed our position on anything. So... <laughs> So I, th- I really thought, what is the point of this, you know? Mm. Plus, I was, I, was, um, I was very, you know, arrogant in that I wouldn't, I wouldn't write stuff that I didn't believe. So in my essays, you know, I wouldn't write that, you know, mm. the miracles never happened and stuff like that. It was just their perspective because I couldn't bring myself to do it. And, like, my, the theology lecturer said, well, you can write anything you want as long as you can, as long as you can back it up. So I probably didn't, I didn't do as well on that course as I probably could have done because of my refusal to like, you know, write mm. stuff that I didn't believe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Did you, did you, so, I mean, you obviously have your arguments and stuff, but that's classic in Christianity, isn't it? Fighting with each other and this denomination believes that, but they're crazy. They're like wrong They're whatever, but like in, yeah. in some level on an academic level, like even if you're not going to write because, well, I don't believe that. I don't think it's right. Um, generally speaking, you're encouraged to really study alternative beliefs and things like that. Did you find yourself being held back from even looking into like things that were quite different or did you, do you feel like you did that, but you still just weren't convinced or how, how did you engage with that on that kind of academic level? Did you find your, your, cause I think a lot of Christians, very passionate Christians, which you obviously are, um, or, or certainly were at that time were very passionate. I know you're very passionate and <laughs> that's not the question. That's for sure. Um, but you know, generally speaking that can be a very big um it's, it's like a, a a little fence that they're not allowed to cross you know if you're really passionate about this if you really you're not going to explore all these kind of weird you know like not really that serious christian it's like it's the not serious yeah. christians that are questioning the virgin birth you're not really going to like explore that over yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever right um did you did you find yourself in that kind of dynamic or or did you not really worry too much about that stuff well by 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 my third year when it actually started to be counting towards my final degree grade Mm. I sort of swallowed my pride a bit and and was able to to look at more than one side of the argument Mm. and my uh my fiance at the time said for goodness sake Martin you never have to stay at you know, you never have to study it again if you don't want to. Just write what they want to hear, you know, mm. and get a good mark and just then just forget it, you know. So, so that's what I started doing. And I, I did courses like um, religion in film and media. Mm. So we watched a lot of old films and, uh, and basically, you know, there was a lot of themes in there that you wouldn't sort of particularly call classically Christian, but, but they were very interesting. Mm. You know, a lot of like uh, metaphysics and all that sort of things, you know. Sure. So 
so I, I'm really interested in that. But but my uh, my favourite course of all the I did in theology was the one called Biblical Theology, which you know took the major themes of the Bible and and uh, you know looked into the to the context in the Greek and stuff like that. Mm. And really, that's 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 laid a foundation for the way that I look at things now. So. I really appreciate that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you got from, um, you know, studying, a, just dabbling a little bit in theology in university, you know, maybe just on the side, I'm focusing on my sports stuff. You know, you then went on, you said you, you like owned a gym and stuff. Like how, how, how did you end up on the trajectory you are now to being where you are, where you have radically shifted in a lot of your beliefs you're very vocal uh, you're you're well known on facebook in in certain bubbles for sure you i mean every yeah. every time someone says oh do you know about this facebook group i'll join it and you're in there talking to people like you're you're everywhere on facebook i go um martin fell or and, and what's funny <laughs> is i get like loads of friend requests constantly and i don't add people on facebook unless i know them personally so i've got a list of like hundreds of them and every night i'll open it just to check in case someone i know has added me and i've missed it um, and i open it and it's not personal. I just like I'm like that's just my a personal bubble for me. Uh, but every time I look down, you know, it's always like, oh, you know, three mutual friends, one mutual friend, the mutual friend on all of them, all the way down, just says Martin Fell, Martin Fell, Martin Fell, Martin Fell. It's like you know everyone. Like it's it's, and so you've become quite a a very vocal, very prominent um, figure in in certain aspects of discussing the Bible. Christianity. Yeah. How did you get from where you were to then? Because I know there's a, there's a big window in there as well. Um, but what kind of took you down that path? Because I know you're not so much focused yeah. on the sports stuff now. Or maybe that's not as yeah, much well, of your focus um, as passion. Well, when, when I sort of, when I was married and settled down and sort of uh, involved in a church in Newcastle, it was then that I started to be. Um, identified by that particular stream as potential leader so mm. they started sending me on church planting courses leadership courses how to preach courses um so i was in my mid-20s then but i was still very focused on my um on my career as in sports because obviously if you own your own business you have to put every all your effort into that yeah seriously so i was happy to do those courses but but i always thought it was future mm. but i mean i i can't really talk without without um going into the the big life-changing event for me in my christian walk which was um in 1994 when um when the toronto thing hit hit britain because that that literally changed everything for me every aspect of my whole christian life was absolutely radically altered by that mm. um and from the very first I, um, I mean i i i was involved with that right from when it came to britain in sort of uh april 1994 and from the very first meeting that i attended i sort of i knew that was for, for me uh, I thought I'd commit the rest of my life to to this to this movement, mm. and uh, for me, the, the 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 radical change was the uh, I got a revelation of uh, of God's love for me as a, as a father, and God's unconditional love. 
and that basically took me off the treadmill of of um of performance-based christianity like like forever mm. and i've never got back on that treadmill so from that moment on i knew that there was nothing i could do or don't not do that could make god love me any more or less than i than i did so yeah it completely changed all my attitude before that I was very very much before dedicated in prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and uh, trying to keep my life you know sort of clean and holy because I thought that if I didn't do that I would, I would be displeasing to God sure. and it took like half an hour you know in in the presence of the father to completely and radically shift that yeah and, and that, wow. that 20 20 years later that is still true, you know. It just it took me off that that performance thing, you know, for good. Mm. And then I sort of I radically threw myself into into what was you know it's known as the Father Heart message, isn't it? And that that became absolutely everything for me. So I've probably been to like at least two hundred conservatively, like you know, Father Heart meetings, events, conferences. And, and 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 that 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 was it for me. I also sure. experienced all the crazy manifestations to do with Toronto, and you know, I, to this day, I, I um, that is part of my experience, and I and I still love that. But but um, the key for for me for Toronto wasn't those things. It was the it was the uh, the finding the unconditional love of the Father. Mm. And basically where I am now in my beliefs is the foundation of that, of my beliefs now is that. Um, because a few years later, um, in 2009, I went through a, a marriage breakup and divorce. And I, for the first time in my life, I sort of hit depression, really. Mm. And uh, I, because I, um, I'd, been, I'd been a full-time house husband previous to that for 10 years so when my marriage broke up I was left with, with nothing I had no job nowhere to live no money no pension I was I was in my mid-40s and absolutely had nothing you know yeah so and it was but then God started uh revealing to me even more the depths of his love mm. and after a couple of years of that I start and uh in that time I also met him, my uh, wife Kathy, my second wife Kathy, who is just absolutely perfect for me. And like um, through that time, I started to not being able to reconcile the doctrines that I believed in and the love of the Father. Mm. I don't know how I did before, but I had managed to do to hold those two intention. But yeah, it just seems so ridiculous to me, you know. Um, and also during this time, I'd, I'd, um, in, in 2015, um, because I've been totally rejected by the church I've been involved with when I was married for the first time, mm. when we divorced, they completely cut me off. And, um, and also two or th a few other churches in, in York made it, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> So uh, in 2014, it was, I think I approached the leaders of um, the Toronto movement to ask whether they would support me in planting a church in York. 
so mm. that went ahead and we planted a little church in york and and basically that was my dream come true yeah you know i'd waited 20 years to like to lead a toronto church and now i was actually doing it you know yeah um, so what were but, um sorry so what when you when you talk about so you go through this divorce it's fascinating because to me um a lot of the people i talk with it's usually something like a death of a loved one or a divorce or something that seems to trigger them starting to explore their theology a little deeper or something happens in that process where they go wait a minute some of this doesn't add up anymore and i and i think sometimes it can yeah. be something as simple as the church treating you badly because you got divorced you know certain people go oh well you know that god doesn't accept that and and you go well, but he does. So, I mean, like, what's that? And you start to, I don't, I don't know what it is, but what were some of the things that in that season were coming to the surface and you were going, that just isn't adding up for me? Like, what were those kind of bits along that way? Because I know you've probably come even further since then, but like in that season, what were the kind of the biggies that didn't line up with God's love for you? Um, the first one was the, um, the end times theology. Mm. That, that was the first one to go that... Um, Basically, the world's getting worse and worse. Um, God is going to suck the church off the earth and then come down and pour out his wrath on the earth and, and slaughter everybody, you know? Or, mm. I mean, so, I'm really confused, Martin, though. Why doesn't that sound loving? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I, I, you know, I taught sort of end time stuff for, for years, you know, the traditional evangelical view of the end times mm. and it just didn't it just started not to add up so i started right. to explore really and have a look read around that subject to see whether there were any other views and surprise surprise there was mm. um, and the one that made most sense to me was that um the end times were talking about the destruction of jerusalem in ad 70 so i took on board that belief and so then I sort of think, thought, hold on a minute. If I've been so wrong about that, maybe there's other things I'm wrong about. And the yeah. next big one to go was, uh, was hell. I mean, that, that, that was the massive one. I just couldn't reconcile a loving father with, with uh, any type of afterlife hell yeah. where people were tortured forever, you know? Mm. My experiences of the love of the father told me that God wouldn't do that to anyone, no matter how wicked they'd been, you know? Yeah. So then I started to look to see whether there are any other views of that and found, to my surprise, there were. There were. Mm. But the thing is that at, at this time I was, you know, I was, I was leading this church and I was sort of preaching and also I was involved in a couple of Father Heart ministries and running Father Heart teaching conferences and stuff like that. And I, I thought that this was going to be my life for the, you know, for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. But I started to be vocal about my changing beliefs on hell and my emerging, developing belief in, in universal salvation, universal reconciliation. And I was just like, like completely cut off. So mm. uh, the leaders of Toronto told me that I was no longer part of the movement and I couldn't associate with them anymore or or mm. run the church uh two other father heart ministries said oh you know you, you can't you can't be involved with us because you don't agree with our statement of faith which includes yeah. hell you know so really i really didn't it? know what i really didn't know what to do 
but the the, the backstory also was that uh, over those couple of years when we were planting and leading the church, I was becoming increasingly involved in um, in the church that, that I belong to now, which is called Hemsworth Christian Fellowship, and that was a Father Heart-based church, and they were supporting the church plant. So at that time, I didn't really see it as my home church. It was just mm. somewhere I went occasionally for refreshing. But whereas when I went through my divorce, they were the only people who had supported me and helped me through that. Wow. So they, they were putting, uh, you know, their beliefs into action in the way that they loved and supported me, you know. And um, the leader of that church, Ollie, had become my best friend and mm. his wife. Uh, with friends with Kathy, so really that was that was that was like a massive help to me, and I didn't know it at the time, but Ollie and Jenny, the leaders, were going through the same process as as I was, mm. in um, sort of uh, looking at their their beliefs and um, them, them not being compatible with the, the the love of the Father. So it was like a parallel journey. So uh, so really um, after. For me, like the um, losing the doctrine of hell was like the domino, really, that set off everything else. So then I started to look yeah. in uh, various views of the cross, and I very quickly di ditched uh, penal substitution. So that went. Um, I stopped believing that there was a real ontological being devil. So that mm -hmm. went. I stopped believing in inerrancy of scripture. So that went. So basically, once I, once I took that uh, block out of hell, you know, it opened the dam. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like it. You, start, you, you tiptoed onto the slippery slope and then you just flew down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So like, it, it fascinates me. And, and I, I don't want to go into mudslinging and all that stuff. And I know you've no interest in doing that either. You know, bygones are bygones with that sort of thing. But it does fascinate me... Um, and, and not all of the church is against having different views of hell. There's a lot of the church that is quite open to the different views of hell, mostly within the kind of mainline traditions, you know, the, which obviously uh, when you're like part of the charismatic or the evangelicals, we look at that as like, oh yeah, but they're not really Christian or whatever. You know, we just, yeah. it's, it's so like dualistic and so in and out and whatever. But so I'm not saying that all of the church is, is so anti you believing something different about hell, but much of it is. Um, what do you think it is about that particular topic um, that causes such tension, such demonization of different views within, you know, maybe your world is kind of charismatic, evangelical. What, yeah. what do you think it is about that? Because it does seem the common response of leaders when people start, you know, entertaining things around that. You look at someone like Rob Bell, right, with his Love Wins. I mean, the guy was yeah. one of the most popular evangelical people on the planet. I mean, everyone loved Rob Bell. I mean, I was in one of the most conservative churches in the world and we used his stuff. You know what I mean? Like, everyone loved him. He was like the cool, hip guy that made evangelical theology accessible and, and hip. And yet he brings out a trailer about a book that even asks the question, doesn't even like promote the answer, uh, but just the trailer was enough for the church to go, all right, you're out. You're no longer a part of us. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually huge. fascinating for me because, um, you know, we were, we were running quite popular events that people from all over the country were coming to. I mean, literally mm. from all over the country, you know, teaching the father heart message 
and when it started to sort of uh, get out that I didn't believe in hell, you know, every time we had a, like a question and answer session, you know, people would ask me. And I didn't want to really teach on it. I wanted to teach on the Father's love, you know. Yeah. That's what the event was about. But if they kept pressing me and pressing me, I'd sort of say what I believed about hell. And then, like, the next day I get all these messages and phone calls saying, oh, Martin, you know, your, the teaching we've heard on the Father heart has, like, radically and completely changed our lives forever but we can't come to your meetings anymore because you're a false teacher, you know? I'm thinking, what the heck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the people who a day ago were absolutely loving it and, like, absolutely transform, transformational teaching are now saying I'm a false teacher all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. It's like, and I think, I think the deal is, is that I think um, a lot of people sitting in the pew or the chairs in the average evangelical charismatic church don't really, really believe in hell. Yeah, if, I would if, agree. If you were to ask them, but there's so much vested interest in them not rocking the boat and not being kicked out and cold-shouldered that they just they stay quiet. Mm. It was so bad for me because I was a, in a leadership position and my sort of overseers or people in leadership above me uh, couldn't have me preaching stuff that wasn't in line with their statement of belief and, and that they completely disagree with, which is fair enough. I mean, the, I, the way they did it to me was absolutely terrible because, you know, we, we didn't discuss it at all. They just told me I'd left, you know. Wow. So that, that was bad. But, but I can understand why they did it because if they absolutely believe that I was, my teaching was false, then fair enough, I shouldn't be leading one of their churches. Sure. And I accept that, but I think with that, I think with the the hell thing, I think it's really, I think it's our desire for retribution and punishment, mm. and our re mankind's retributive justice system that we project onto God, which is why it's so difficult to shift the the hell thing, because mm. it's just it's not fair that evil people get away with it you know yeah and we all feel like that right on some level we've all seen that yeah. you know you read through like the psalms and he's going like why you know I'm, i was good and you did nothing and then this guy's bad and he gets everything or the prophets you know read it and people are complaining about it and you go yeah i felt like that too right i've been pissed off with people getting away with all sorts and i'm doing the right thing and like it's understandable for sure um, I, I get that. Like, I, I really, I understand why people struggle with that dynamic. Yeah. So I, I, I really, really think that that is the that is the the main root of how why the, the health thing is so hard to shift because it's mm. it's just our desire for vengeance and retribution. And the other thing is that if you take like a plain literal reading of the Bible, it's in the Bible. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So so and people have been. Uh, program for like years and years decades probably centuries just to believe what's in the bible or to yeah. believe what their pastor tells them what is in the bible you know sure. and you know I'm, I'm pretty convinced that you know once you look into the context and original language of the passages hell isn't there at all that's my personal opinion but mm. you can use the bible to prove hell 
if you take a certain interpretation of the Bible. Yeah. And, and it's I tough mean, as well because a, a clean, that's what the Bible says. There are certainly at least a few passages that certainly on the face of them go, hey, everyone's going to get saved. Or, and, and there's a lot yeah. of verses that on the face of them at least promote annihilationism. Um, yeah. And so, but we don't just believe what the Bible says with those verses. We do it with the other ones. And so there's, there's all, automatically yeah. some sort of like bias or a preconditioning to go, oh, I'm just believing what the Bible says. Yeah. when it supports this thing I've already been taught or believe. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I, I get all told all the time that I don't believe the Bible, I twist the scriptures, et cetera, mm. et cetera. I mean, I get told that on a daily basis. But, but when I go through the verses that seem on the face of it to strongly, very strongly support universal salvation, they completely ignore that, you know? And like, yeah. you know... If it says all people, then it means all people. But they come, aha, well, it doesn't really mean all people, you know? It's like you're doing that to what you accuse me yeah. of, you know? <laughs> yeah, which is, again, that's okay. That's a fair hermeneutical process to go, well, I might, when I break it down in the context, I don't think it means all. I'm like, okay, cool. But you have to then accept that I use the same processes on a different type of passage to come to a different conclusion and then just go, I just disagree with yeah. you. But like, you can't say what I'm doing is invalid when you're doing the same thing for other Bible yeah, verses yeah. to make yourself feel comfortable, you know? Um, but I mean, fascinating. you know, if you're, if you're, if you've moved beyond believing that the Bible is inerrant and you're discussing yeah. uh, these issues with someone who believes the, uh, is the Bible is inerrant, it's almost like a pointless <laughs> It's a pointless exercise. You're, not, you're never going to see see things the same way, you know. You're you're talking about what sounds like an extremely um, like harsh shift in your life, where you're going, you're doing this thing that you probably never even set out to do initially. You know, when you were you're first training and different things like that, you were never expecting to start a church, and yet you, you're saying, you know, um, you were just saying like um, this is now the thing I was expecting to do till the day I died, I was going to do this forever. You know, I'm passionate about this church. And then it's this weird dynamic of when you're in a part of a church that is part of something bigger, a denomination or whatever, um, that denomination does have the power to go, mm, we don't like that you're doing this. You're not doing it anymore. And that's kind of understandable. You know, if you're in a Baptist church and you start preaching something that the Baptists don't believe, it's fair that they go, Hey, you can't do that. Go be a Methodist pastor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not to say that, you know, like, shame on them for kicking you or anything i'm sure that they could have done it differently or whatever but it it is to say that's a really hard dynamic and i know a lot of people at deconstruct in on different levels of engagement with the church have that experience where overnight yeah. it's like oh i'm not a part of this how yeah. did you how did you navigate what it, at least in your telling it feels like a very sudden extreme shift from i'm doing this i love doing this i'm going to do this to the day i die to oh i don't have a church anymore and i'm yeah kind of booted out of this group that i love yeah what did that it, look like for you well it was it was very difficult uh another reason why it was difficult was that um i'd sort of i've been involved in a in a few other churches where i live and because there was a, a clash in different beliefs beliefs i'd already been asked to leave a few other churches so wow. this basically was sort of a to do anything based actually where I live, this was not like the last chance saloon sort of yeah. thing, you know, and yeah. now that was gone. Um, and the problem is, is that I couldn't really, 
I'd sort of vested everything in this, you know, I hadn't any other source of income or job. So basically everything was taken away and I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. And um, at the time, my wife had given up uh, her job of teaching and she was working on a part-time basis. So we were basically left with like one part-time income, you know, with mm. bills to pay and everything. So yeah. it, it, it was difficult. And um, I'd been too long out of the industry I was trained for to get back into it. So I was left a bit not knowing what to do, you know? Yeah. So eventually I decided I had to do something. So I went back into employment and it, it just so happens that, um, you know, the church in Hemsworth at the same time was going through the process that we were and, and uh, we were drifting more and more towards them anyway. Mm. So basically um, it, it seemed like a natural shift to, to sort of uh, to fully commit to them and see them as our as our home church and what right. have you yeah and that 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 really without that you know i don't think you know we would have got through it because um we've got we've got sort of absolutely no christian friends at all in york mm. um and most you know um the church leaders in york actually passed an email around saying to have nothing to do with us so wow we were completely ostracized. So, and it's still difficult because it's 40 miles away that we don't have any support where we are, but, um, but at least we do have that support. So, yeah. so that, that's been a lifesaver for us. And then obviously we started contacting other people, um, throughout the country. You know, you're one example that, mm. uh, that became our friendship and support group. So, so yeah, yeah. I think really, two or three years on from that was sort of pretty much through the hurt and the pain, but, but it did, did leave us uh, feeling all at sea for quite a while. Yeah. And then we sort of, there was a, f a number of people who uh, live in York who seemed like they wanted to be friends with us just on a relationship basis. But mm. as soon as our beliefs parted ways, they, they, they dropped us very, very quickly, which is, which shows that the, the relationship wasn't really built on, on true yeah. friendship. It's really telling, isn't it? It's, 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 it just astonishes me again and again. It's happened to me. It's, it's happened to countless people that I talk to day in, day out, that these relationships that sometimes go decades long, I mean, really deep relationships, people that like, you know, yeah, looking at from the external, you would say, gosh, these people are like blood brothers. You know what I mean? These people would die for each other. And then they go, oh, one doesn't believe what the other believes suddenly. And, and they never talk to each other again. And you go, gosh, that one thing was whatever yeah. the one thing is. You know, we can decide whether that's big or small. And I'm sure given different worldviews, it, it can be a huge thing. But it's astonishing to me. It really is. Um, you know, it's, it's akin to kind of parents kicking out their kid because they turn out to be gay or whatever. And it's like, yeah. to me, I'm like, whoa, you can disagree with that. But that's your, that's your kids. Like, that's kind of, but again, so rooted in these beliefs. It, it's it's wild to see really wild. So I think it's, I think it's because they think that you're going to lead them into something mm. that's, that's a false teaching or, and ultimately they're in danger. If they sort of believe in hell that mm. you know, if they lose those beliefs, you know, they're in danger of losing their salvation or whatever way you want to frame it, which yeah. is obviously a massive thing for them. You know, that's a big motivator. You know, do yeah. you want to burn for eternity forever and ever and ever things. and ever? 
yeah, okay, I'll, I'll not see Martin again, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll miss his banter, but, you know, I'll probably play it safe. <laughs> it, may, I, it does make sense, but it, it just it just shows how deeply ingrained and how big a stick that is that, that, that the, the church has used to threaten and persuade and manipulate. Um, not necessarily intentionally or consciously, yeah. but, but that is the dynamic of it is a real threat. The amount of people I talk to that, that people message me and say, Phil, I've not believed in hell for almost a decade now. And yet I still wake up in like cold sweats, having had like nightmares. That I'm going to go to hell because I don't believe in hell. And, and you're like, gosh, after like 10 years, people are still ingrained in yeah. them somehow. Um, I mean, that's really why, powerful. that's why I sort of, you know, a lot of my focus of the things I say and talk about is about hell because it's like, mm. it's the, it's the massive, it's the biggie, you know? And I think really, um, <clears throat> until something is done about that, you know, the, the church isn't really going to isn't going to move on because it, yeah. it, it keeps so many people in in uh, in bondage to fear you know yeah i mean it's just the amount of times people tell me i'm going to hell for for not believing in hell i mean it's yeah. just like can we not see the contradiction there you know it's it's wild it's a weird threat as well because you're like well I, yeah but i don't i don't believe in that you, you do realize it's like me saying like um well because you don't believe in the flying spaghetti monster the flying spaghetti monster is going to get you you're like I, i'm not worried about that you know like, yeah. it's like why would i um, that's a weird threat you know um it, it's it's a huge one and it seems to govern so much. And, it, and again, like I said, it does make sense. It makes sense if you really believe that. But it does, it does mean that when you've got this hard line, at some point you're going to die and that's it. There's no more grace. There's no more mercy. There's, that's it. You, you, you've had that this long. And if you didn't do the right thing by then, whatever the right thing is, whether it's praying a prayer, going to church, uh, not believe, uh, believing in hell, uh, not being gay, whatever the things are that you didn't screw up. And if you do screw up those, you're done, right? It, when there's that hard line, it does make uh, exploration of the uncertain very, very um, dangerous. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand that, so I do think you're right in that if we can topple, um, and, and there are arguments for eternal uh, conscious torment. I'm not saying it's, it's a stupid argument, right? It, yeah. There's an argument there in, in scripture and in church history, but yeah. it, at least if we can topple that, that, that podium position where nothing else can touch it, no other <laughs> yeah. conversation can happen. If we can at least open up the conversation to like, hey, it could be that God's more gracious than that. Yeah, suddenly yeah. we go okay well now i'm free to at least look at the topic of homosexuality and see huh is yeah, there yeah. room because if i get it wrong god's gracious he'll still be like well yeah. phil you got it wrong but it's okay we, we got eternity to figure these things out but you can't I mean, do that so, so, so many people it's obvious when they talk to them that they don't even know that there have been alternative views mm. by church history and i think you know that's pretty poor on the church's behalf at least not to say, well, you know, we believe in this, but this is another view that has been taught in church history, you know? Yeah. I, I think it draws a line between, you know, there's kind of, that would be a very academic approach to information. You know, if you go to university, you find out, okay, here's the current theory, but here's all the theses that we dismantled as we got to that point, And this is the most likely, but actually there's some other new ideas 
popping around and some of these old ideas maybe actually that we haven't actually completely killed them and they might pop up with some new information you know it will share like on the whole so you understand the whole breadth and you can make a yeah. well-informed decision or you can research in the right directions and yet the church's job is not to do that at least as the church understands itself today yeah, yeah. the church's job is to brainwash and and yeah. i mean that in its in its most um, innocent sense, that I mean that in a sense of like, well, you want to teach people good, you know. I mean, in a sense, if you bring up your kids, you want to brainwash them in loving people, or yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not even saying that necessarily like teaching someone one ideology is necessarily a bad thing, you know. I don't want to, you know, give my six year old mind comp and go well, read this and see what you think, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I think that's probably not the best model. Um, So I understand when you go, well, the eternity is on this. What if they do measure up all the different options and pick the wrong one? I think it's better. We just tell people we have figured it out and we know we figured it out. I was at the top in the power with the edge, but it it really does. It stops any form of discussion on a whole host of things that, that, even if hell isn't to be discussed, so many other things are certainly yeah. open to discussion. I you mean, know, it's just, it is a, you know, not, you know, I, I do think that the gospel needs to be able to be understood at a childlike level, mm. you know, that anyone can understand. But on the other hand, if you're giving the Bible an English translation of a Bible to someone without at least some rudimentary understanding of how to handle it, how that it was written, context, etc. It's it's just it's a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. You know, we tell new new believers or what have you to read the Bibles everywhere, every day, and you're handing them a, a time bomb. <laughs> you know, depending yeah, yeah. on what what passage they pick to read first. You know, yeah, and it, it causes all sorts of uh, cognitive dissonance when they read one bit that says something and read another bit that seems to say the opposite. You know. Mm. So without some sort of education of how how we handle this, I mean, and really, you know, when Jesus himself never promised us the Bible, but promised us the spirit of truth, Mm. you know, why are we idolizing this 2000 year old book? Well, more than that, just the New Testament, 2000 years old, rather than um, teaching people to sort of, you know, to rely on on what God is saying now by the Spirit, not what some people thousands of years ago thought God was saying, you know? Mm. Although, you know, obviously, I, I do believe that what they wrote down was was inspired. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, it was inspired through people who then interpreted what was being inspired to them. So it's not, it's not dictation, you know, it's not, uh, you know, mind control. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, I think, you know, and for for people who are, you know, have the responsibility to, to teach people and preach to people, basically they are really uh, most of the time preaching confirmation bias. You know, they're, they're preaching stuff that, that they want people to believe or they, they're trying to reinforce a belief, you know. Yeah. That's yeah, probably a, a sidetrack from what we're talking about. No, no, it's, yeah. it's good. This, this is all really interesting. This is the sort of thing I, I, I wanted to chat about because uh, I know that you think about this stuff a lot. You're very vocal about this stuff. Um, and, you, and you are. What fascinates me about you, Martin, is um, a lot of people just move on from having these in-depth, um, uh, what to me at times can be so mundane debates about, well, this scripture says this and this scripture. 
Um, and and what fascinates me about you, Martin, is you 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 are happy to have those conversations to the day you die. It feels you know everywhere I yeah, go yeah. on Facebook or uh, elsewhere, you know, like it, you're you're somewhere and you're you're trying to help people see that the Bible can be seen from a different lens and a different perspective. And I do that a little bit, but honestly, I'm like, gosh, I just I can't be bothered. <laughs> and and you are relentless about it. And and I do I really appreciate that because I do think. Um, you see this again and again and again with people that, that deconstruct, that move on to a, a new position. When they've deconstructed a position on the Bible being the infallible, inerrant, you know, like utterly perfect handwritten by God, you yeah. know, as he held Paul's arm moving it up yeah. and down and around. And, um, you know, when people move beyond that, they often do go, well, I don't really like people are like, well, how can you support homosexuality or how do you not believe in hell? And they go, what do you do with this Bible verse? I don't really care about that Bible verse. (laughs) They're not interested in having that in-depth conversation. And what I appreciate is that's not going to change that person's mind though, is it? Um, You know, they, they are going to need someone to meet them in the middle ground. Um, And I love that you do that. You work (laughs) with people that are so enamored with the Bible. The thing is that I think there are, there are a lot of Bible passages that I think do support my position Mm -hmm. on universal salvation and, there not being an internal conscious torment hell. Um, but I don't personally need that to convince me. My, my experiences of the love of God were enough to convince me that those things are true. Yeah. But the, mostly the people I uh, engage with and argue with won't believe it unless they see it in the Bible. So, mm. so I'm really coming to their level, if you like, and trying yeah. to... Um, talk to them from from the place that they're at you know yeah. you know if i if i never read another verse in the bible ever again in my life I, it wouldn't it wouldn't affect what i believe sure um but the people i engage with they have to see it there in the bible so yeah i try and do it and and, and basically you know i don't i don't really tire of of doing that because you know, I just want to see people uh, come into to a bit of freedom or at least see things from a different perspective. Yeah. And I, and I really believe, I believe that that is something that, that if you like, God has called me to do, yeah. you know, so, so I'm, I'm quite diligent in it. And my, my paid job actually allows me quite a lot of time to be able to do that. So, mm. so I do, I, I mean, sometimes I do tire of the personal attacks all the time, but, but yep. mostly I sort of, uh, I just uh, slush them off and <laughs> carry on going, going, you know? Yeah, it, it does. It gets very, it, it's, and we all, we all know this in life when people run out of an argument, they tend to turn into very personal, and, you know, like all sorts of different things. You know, you see it all the time, you know, when, when someone's met with a really good argument, oh, well, you're, you're just conservative or you're just a liberal or you're just a yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but it can get very, very uh, mean spirited, very uh, insulting, very horrible as well. And so I, I'm really impressed that you, you do uh, so relentlessly do that um, because yeah, I see it a lot on your on your pages. You know, people hoping you burned at the stake and all kinds of wild <laughs> and crazy things people say. Which I'm like, these are the Christians, yeah, hoping that you, you know, it's it's wild, it's wild. Um, oh, the the atheists I talk to are far more gracious. You know, mm, <laughs> they'll yeah. actually listen. They'll actually listen to your arguments. Yeah. Well, and I guess they're not. They're it's burning it for eternity. Isn't on this on the on the. Um, 
the table for them. You know, they're, they're not potentially going to burn for eternity in their heads. Well, it's not even on the table. But when you're arguing with someone and they genuinely think, or at least they think they, they might have wasted their entire lives or, or mm. you know, all sorts of things go through your head. And I've talked to a lot of people at Deconstruct that go, oh my gosh, I've wasted 20, 30, yeah. 40 years of my life. Um, and it can be easy to feel like that at times, even though that's what's made you who you are. But um, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you really genuinely believe people are going to burn forever, why are you arguing about hell with me on Facebook? Why aren't you telling your, <laughs> your neighbour to be sad? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if people genuinely believe this, they'll be crawling on broken glass to tell people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And but that is always the, the big thing that, that highlights that people don't really believe this deep down. Because if we really genuinely believed every person out there was going to be burning for eternity, we'd be knocking on every single door at every spare moment of the day. We'd be begging people, certainly be begging loved ones. And and yeah, people have awkward, really, you know, awful conversations with family members over Thanksgiving where they awkwardly are trying to resave them or whatever. Like that happens, but it's it's not a literal like, you know, I would do literally anything to get every person out there. I don't think we really genuinely engage with yeah. that, with that eternal conscious torment um, as evidenced by our actions. So something that intrigues me then, Martin, because for me, you're having these, these conversations focused around the Bible to try and show people a different perspective on hell, or, you know, you talk about quite a few different topics, you know, uh, violence, penal substitution, things like that. But um, you look at, let's say something like how we look at that and people go, well, that's what the Bible says. It clearly says eternal conscious torment. And you're going, well, actually, hold on. Look, there's a couple of verses here that I think are very hard to interpret as eternal conscious torment, more likely to be universal. Now, what's interesting is you and I probably, I, I'm pretty sure we would agree on this. I feel like we've had the conversation on this before. We would agree that in the Bible, there are multiple opinions, multiple verses that would be different. You know, So you'd have a Bible, yeah. there might be a Bible verse that supports eternal conscious torment and there might be a Bible verse that supports the universalism. And that for you, you go, yeah, I can bear with that and I can cope with that. And then I, I reason and think, well, which Bible verse holds more weight for me? Which one do I think is better? The, the, most people you're talking to, though, don't think that. They literally think that every Bible verse is interwoven, interlinked, and all point to exactly the same theology. Just people struggle maybe to figure it out. But they've obviously figured it out, obviously. Um, and so... How, because for me, when you're having that kind of conversation, one of the core fundamentals is until you can help people see that there's different perspectives in there, they're always going to cling to their one or two Bible verses that are clearly saying what they want to believe and just ignore what you're saying. Or is that, is that what you're trying to do to in, introduce a second opinion that they can't disagree with and go, oh gosh, I'm, I, there, there's more going on here if there's two opinions or how, how are you going about that? Because when you're faced with someone that's so rigid and so black and white, so fundamental about that belief mm. and you're going, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with them. Do you strategize? Like, okay, how do I, is there a, is there a process that you're trying to take people well, on? It's not, uh, you know, I, I, I completely believe that it's the, the Holy Spirit's job to reveal truth to people and show them uh, what's, what's, what's right and what's wrong. But sure. if people are so rigid and have been in a system for, you know, sometimes decades, it's, you know, unless, you know, God completely comes and completely railroads them, they need a spark to start thinking that there yeah. might be another perspective. And I, I think, I by no means think that I'm going to write out two paragraphs and then suddenly say, oh, you know, <laughs> Well, you know, you're right, fantastic. But if I could in some way get them to think about the possibility 
or even if I say, well, I think the, you know, the word in Greek means this, not that. I don't think that's a very good translation. Even if it gets them to have a look at a, a concordance or a lexicon to say whether, to see whether what I'm saying is, holds any weight, that, that's mm. basically enough for me. I mean, a, a good example is um, when I had my gym years and years ago, over 20 years ago now, there was a guy who came there who was like a complete atheist. And then over a few couple of years of conversations with us, he uh, committed to Jesus and he was like radically and completely changed. Hmm. And about five years ago, he started following me on Facebook and saying, oh, what you believe um, is like, it's gone completely off the wall, crazy, you're completely wrong. What's happened to the you of like, you know, when we first met, you know, blah, 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 blah. And like, I kept engaging with him. And like about two years ago, he messaged me and said, um, uh, what you've said really made me sort of start to dig and explore. And uh, and I said, he said, I have to apologize for you to you because I think everything that you've said is right, you know? Wow. So like that, um, mm. you know, I don't know how many of those people there will be, but I certainly think that, um, you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of the people who I've talked to in, in conversations, you know, at Hemsworth at church, some of their journey to, to new beliefs has been sparked by some of the things that I've encouraged yeah. them to look into, you know? Mm. So it's really great. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your, your transition to Hemsworth. You know, you were already quite close to Ollie. We're going to have Ollie on the podcast in, in the next few weeks. So I'm quite excited right. about that. Um, because I am so excited to talk to a pastor that's managed to ha to to keep a church going during a transition <laughs> like deconstructing and and help bring a lot of the church on that journey as well is is fascinating. But um, you know, I, I imagine it could have been quite easy for you to to give up on the church in in the, in the broad sense. You know, you, you've been pastoring, you've been in leadership, you've been kind of kicked out of a few churches at this point. You know, you've seen that the the, the church. It, to use it very much air quotes, you know, more institutionally we're talking. Um, it's not built for change and growth in theology in a lot of ways, unless it's very much growing in exactly the same belief yeah. we have. Um, and did, did you go through seasons of being jaded by it? You're thinking, gosh, do I just give up on this thing? What's the point? Or, or did, did, do you have hope for the church and the future of the church? Like talk to me about what, what you see happening, um, for the global church, because right now we're seeing unprecedented amounts of people fleeing the church, leaving the church, mm. the mass exodus, um, and for various reasons and to various ends. But do you think the church has a future? Do, what, what do you think that looks like? I don't think the church as it is now has a future. I think really church as it's been done for probably the past two or 300 years is, I think uh, it's uh, on, on life support. <laughs> Mm. because there are just and part of it is the availability of of information you know um i'll take an example that people people um tell me all the time that going back to hell that jesus talked about hell more than any other subject <laughs> i mean you only you only need to do a five minute google search to find out that's completely bogus and a, just an 
an untruth. Yeah. You know, but people have been getting away with it for years because there was no other information available. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where, I mean, you can see it in church when uh, the preacher's saying things and like, you know, the young people at the back are like on their phones Googling it to see whether it's true. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, you know, people just can't get away with, uh, with pulling the wool over people's eyes anymore. Yeah. And, people, um, and people are getting a lot, a lot more savvy. Yeah. Um, I do think uh, I have a lot of hope for the church because, but I don't think it's going to be structured anything like mm. it is now. I think the days of the, um, the top-down authority structure and it being a performance that people watch People aren't just going to aren't going to tolerate that anymore. So, I see it as as going to be something much more organic and uh, um, democratic, if you mm. like. I mean, I, I do think there's some there is going to be always a need for some sort of leadership role in in steering, but a flat leadership, not not a hierarchical one. Mm. Um, but I still I still do hold to the promise of Jesus that He's going to uh, continue to build and spread the kingdom. Uh, through the church but i don't think it, it even in 10 years time i don't think it's going to look anything like it does today i think yeah. the day of the like the massive mega church sort of thing is is over really yeah. and i think in, in some ways um i mean i know i go on about hemsworth a lot but it is it is pioneering i think something uh something different and something that the church yeah. is going to look like because we don't have like like sermons and stuff like that we have ollie saying a few bits and pieces and everybody sharing you know we use so-called secular songs all the time you know and um it, it's been you know that uh, i mean the church would still call itself this is happened would still call itself an evangelical church but it doesn't hold to any of the evangelical doctrines <laughs> i mean it's, it's got rid of hell it's got rid of penal substitution it's got rid of inerrancy. It, it's totally inclusive of LGBT. Mm. I mean, it's just. I mean, for me, I know that if it wasn't for there, I would I would not be in church because yeah. I don't think any other church would put up with me because I'm too. Yeah. I just can't sit there and, and listen to baloney being taught. You know, I have to say something, and that's obviously got me into a lot of trouble in the past. You know. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because. Um, the the sort of beliefs we uh, we have, and uh, Ollie and his wife Jenny have, we sort of it started out where because we meet them um, once a month for lunch, me and Kathy and Ollie and Jenny, right. and it started out that we would just talk about these issues um, when we were alone together, and you know it came out quite quickly that they sort of were on the same page as us in their beliefs, but. Ollie, despite um, him, he's very modest about himself being a being a being a pastor, but absolutely, actually, he's an outstanding pastor. Mm. And he didn't want to upset people, and he didn't want to everybody to leave because he felt obviously a responsibility uh, for caring for them. So basically, he's really sort of drip fed these beliefs, you know. And mm. over the last couple of years, he's become a lot more outwardly vocal about saying what he believes yeah but because people have been on on the journey 
at the same time, nobody's sort of, or I think maybe one or two that I can think of have left, but wow. pretty much everybody stayed. It's astonishing. Really but, astonishing. but the history of the church has been like that. Mm. Um, it's been, a, it's been a, there for a long time, since the 80s, and it was sort of a, a pretty typical charismatic evangelical church. And then the, the leader who was there before Ollie, he went to uh, like Toronto and got completely wrecked, came back and said, like, this is the way we're going to do things, like, you know, mm. the Father's love, ministry times and et cetera. And like 80% of the church left. <laughs> wow. You know, it yeah. went it went, went from like, you know, to, to probably about a dozen people from 80 or 90, you know. Yeah. But uh, we kept we kept on the same message and it, the numbers built up again. And then there was another shift in beliefs and the, you know, they went down again, but there's always, there's always been that core. Yeah. And, um, I, I say this quite a lot that, um, people who have a security and a experiential knowledge of, of the love of God, in my experience, I'm not saying it's the same for everyone, but from the people I engage with, they handle the deconstruction process a lot. It's, it's a lot easier for them. Mm. And they, they come out with, with um, something at the end. I, I find that people who um, have not had that foundation, who've had a more cerebral type of faith, when they find out, like, that, or when they begin to think that the Bible's inerrant, they just, oh, well, we can't believe any of it, you know? Mm. And they just chuck everything out, you know? And I... I I respect that that's part of people's journey and that's where some people are at. But for me, um, losing all these uh, that I see as pretty toxic beliefs has, you know, increased my love for God and passion mm. for Jesus. It's even increased my love for the Bible. I use the Bible far more now than I did when I believed it was inerrant <laughs> because I couldn't handle the apparent contradictions. Yeah which I can now, you know, because I know more about how to handle it. Mm. And uh, I just, um, I'm so grateful for my sort of 20 plus years of, of experiencing the Father's love because that, that really has what is the thing that's kept me rooted and grounded. And uh, it's made me come out of the, this process in a far, far better place. Mm than ever before you know i just feel i'm in a better place than ever before so yeah that's fascinating that's really really interesting i i say often um and it's entirely anecdotal i, I don't know like you you know we don't have hard cold facts about our, our data on this uh hopefully we will one day but um it feels like those that are in much more experientially driven uh types of faith ones like charismatic pentecostal um not that they don't you know read the bible have an intellectual faith i'm not saying they don't but they, they're driven by this kind of like oh i want to feel god i want to know god and know his love and feel some sort of tangible experience or see some sort of tangible experience or something people that have that when they go through deconstruction um they let go of a lot of stuff um but it feels that they're very rarely able to go into um, a fully atheistic kind of mindset. They might become a bit agnostic. You know, I'm not entirely sure what God is anymore, mm, but I yeah. still kind of believe there's something there. Or, uh, I can't let go of those experiences. They're too tangible and real for yeah, me. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, whereas a lot of other people, 
like you're saying that are more just very driven by the intellectual pursuit of faith um they can often go through whether they stay there or, or move on into something else um after later um they often go into more of an atheistic um season yeah. because they don't have a um as much of a tangible experience now i know a lot of charismatic people that have tangible experiences that still become atheists and go through atheist seasons because they can go well yeah i did have that and it was very meaningful at the time and it was very powerful but actually looking back i can probably tell you how it was a rush of this hormone or you know it was a bit of group think or what so yeah it's not a black and white thing uh, yeah. but it is interesting people that have these profound experiences and um and I'm not trying to minimize or elevate one group of people's experience yeah, above yeah. others, but people that are driven by, I want to have an experience. They seem yeah. to go through deconstruction, um, not in a better or healthier way either. Cause I don't even know if it's the best way to do it. Uh, maybe they're just are avoiding a whole bunch of questions that they'll have to yeah, ask yeah. later or who knows. Uh, but they do seem to go through it without letting go of a divine uh, being um, for, for, for better or worse, who knows? Um, I think that's an interesting observation, though, that uh, that you bring up. Um, it's, it's really interesting. How, so in your process, you, you've never let go of that dynamic. Or would you still hold yourself to be quite charismatic? You believe like in God, experiencing God? Yeah, absolutely. God doing I mean, I think, you know, I, I can, I can sort of, you know, intellectualize and i i think i'm um i'm quite smart in you know uh bible study and stuff like that but i put experience of god probably above everything else mm. you know i would absolutely still cause my, call myself a charismatic you know i believe absolutely believe in the in the holy spirit the gifts of the holy spirit mm. as as well and uh i i would i would want people to experience god all the time above understanding him through the bible which you know that obviously that is possible and people do meet god through the scriptures obviously and i do as well but i i, I um i think god is a a an experiential being you know um god is love and love is an experience and an emotion mm. so i really um Without that, I don't really think there's there is um, for me much to uh, much to Christian Christianity. I think it's like supernatural from start to finish, you know. So, yeah, yeah I would I would really I still put a very high place on that. That's really interesting. It's it's it's, it's fantastic. Um, I I definitely come across less and less that the more I, I'm delving into the world of people that are going through deconstructions, deconversions, dechurching, all the different language behind different options of that. Yeah. Um, less and less people that still hold on to those charismatic values um, and haven't in some way, shape or form felt they had to let go of them or um, felt they can explain them away or, or whatever. And, and so yeah. it's really interesting to talk to someone that, that I mean, I do find this side. talking to people who um, some people have had the sort of experiences I've had and some people haven't and it's amazing how many people um who have definitely had the sort of experience of that i've had um sort of a lot of them do sort of really dismiss them mm. and that, that 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 you know was sort of chemicals or you know group hypnotism or whatever you know and uh that that for me i find that find that quite quite sad mm. and i've actually 
come under a bit of attack from those people, you know, when I do share some of the experiences I've, I've had, you know, oh, you know, there's no way, way of proving them, they're not valid and stuff like that. Well, you know, I don't think they have a right to say that because they were certainly valid to me, you know? Mm, yeah. And, and you know, one of the, one of the things, I'm sure there were, there is group dynamics and whatever involved, but for me, I was involved in, in that sort of movement for so long that I experienced all the things that I, that I experienced in big meetings. I experienced them on my own mm -hmm. at home or I experienced them walking to the shops or going to the restaurant and stuff like that. So you can take away a lot of those group dynamics. And I'm sure a lot of it was um, chemicals and hormones and stuff like that. But yeah. if Christ is all in all, then he's in the chemicals and the hormones, isn't yeah. he? So it becomes a very messy... Uh a messy component of like, well, how is God even working? You know, the, the concepts that C.S. Lewis had of like, even the supernatural, it, it, it works within the natural. It's just that we don't understand it. And so when Jesus heals a blind person, he's using a natural process or, or something. And, and we don't understand yeah. that. Or um, yeah. now I, that's an opinion of, of many people It's not necessarily how it works or not. Maybe God does something that's completely outside of that, or maybe, you know, something else was going on entirely. Maybe the story was fabricated by someone writing the book. I, I, I yeah, you know, yeah. there's yeah. a many different options here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. And uh, I, I don't know if you, have you seen um, Darren Brown's miracles tour on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, fantastic. Um, the, the, the message behind that of look at what the human body is, is capable of doing. Like, look at how people can actually bring healing to themselves and, and the power of the minds to overcome pain, yeah, yeah. to overcome suffering yeah. and different things. Um, and so for me, like I looked at that and there's people today that, you know, I think it's three or four years on now, um, are still walking in some sort of healing that they received in his meetings. And for people yeah. that haven't seen it, you need to get on Netflix and watch Darren yeah. Brown's miracles. It's fascinating. Um, but he's an atheist. Um, he comes from a Christian background. He grew up in Christianity, um, but he's an atheist and he does a, a Christian healing meeting. Um, but he applies what he understands as a horrifically smart guy. I mean, very, very uh, knowledgeable on, uh, you know, neural linguistic programming, yeah. psychotherapy, all sorts of different components. So he introduces a lot of different elements that help bring people um, different freedoms. And, uh, and you watch that and you go, gosh, there's definitely an overlap. You know, I'm like, I, 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 there's no way I can say that everything he's done is either evil, demonic or not true. And that everything the church has done is absolutely possibly true. Yeah. I'm like, there's probably a big overlap here of like, that the human body is capable of great, amazing things. When hormones surge, when the mind yeah, thinks yeah. a certain way, when the placebo effect is one of the most proven things there is, yeah, it yeah. consistently works. And we don't really know apart from the brain decides. Yeah. Um, so is it possible for God to be doing that as well as, or entirely? Um, I don't think that makes it any less miraculous. Yeah. Well, um, if people one, get one healed. Of, one of, one of the, the favorite, my favorite verses at the minute is, when Paul said that, you know, um, there is one power, one spirit, you know, one God and father of us all. So, you know, that seems to be suggest to me that people are tapping into the one power and the one spirit yeah. without knowing it, or they might even put a completely different name on it, but, but who cares as long as yeah. people are, get, are getting better. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, teachers I listen to these days who are 
talking about, you know, the glands in the body, you know, using language like chakras and energy fields, mm. which few years ago, you know, you'd be like, you know, <laughs> I'd be around with your, with the torches and pitchforks. Yeah. And probably if I said it, people would be, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's, it's all God. I mean, this is, I think if you, if you're sort of wanting to know where I think I'm going in my journey, this, this is really where I think I'm going and where the church is heading, I think is the, uh, is the Christ life in mm. all, in everything, you know, in us and, um, and in other people, whether they believe it or not, whether they're aware of it or not, yeah, you know, Christ is through all and in all and for all. That, yeah. that is really, I think where the track that I'm on at the minute and, um, you know, what we, we manifest what we what we believe to be true so believing yeah. is very very important so uh a lot of teaching i'm listening to at the minute you sort of uh it's like sort of meditation but you're sort of you're visualizing yourself being better you know healed or you're visualizing being financially secure or what have you because then that that taps into the christ within and it starts to manifest, you know, mm. and it really, really does work. And it's not, it's often not, not, not immediate, you know, but we've got to, um, when, when, when Paul talked about being in the flesh, really the flesh is like a very, not very good translation. What it really means is judging things by your outward senses. So mm. judging things by what you see, what you smell, what you see. Uh, what you hear as judging that as reality rather than judging things by by the tree of life by you know the divine and the spirit within you know mm. and that i think really that is where where we're heading that's oh, beautiful martin i really appreciate you coming on and chatting it's, it's been really good um if people want to connect with you if people want to follow you you know track with all the different stuff you're posting you post a lot of great stuff um, what's the best thing? Facebook? You're a big Facebook. Yeah, fan. I'm on Facebook all the time. Okay. I, I don't, I, I've tried other things, WhatsApp and Instagram. I don't really find they, they suit me. So I'm like, yeah, Mr. Facebook. So awesome. Just, I'll make uh, sure your link just is there. Martin fell and, uh, yeah, you'll find me there. And, cool. uh, you know, if you, if you want to be part of some of the, there's some, some Facebook groups I'm part of that, uh, that sort of a, a very much same similar place to me in, in the journey. Sure. So uh, if you private message me, then I can, I'm a, a sort of admin of some of these groups so I can join you to these groups so you can, you can connect with, with similar people. I'll, I'll make sure to note that in the, uh, I'll, I'll link to your Facebook profile and then I'll note as well, get the message. Let um, everyone let Martin know as well. If you enjoyed the thing, I'm sure he'll be pleased to know. He gets enough uh, hate mail that he'll enjoy some good, positive, and yeah, encouraging yeah. messages as well. <laughs> but it's been great to have you on, man. I really, really loved it. I think you're um, a great friend before ever, everything else, but I think you're a fascinating mind, a fascinating, um, unique expression of what this journey can look like. Um, and, and I'm always fascinated by people that hold on to different parts of their journey as, the, as they progress. And, um, and I think you are not alone by any means, but you're somewhat of a rarity that has held on to a lot of their charismatic beliefs. Uh, most people I know have kind of started to let go or just left them going, I don't know. And so it's, it's really great to talk to people that do um, hold on to those things and, and understand yeah. where they're coming from. And, so, and that, that, that is as well part of being, I mean, 
again, to, to, to talk about you know, Hemsworth for a minute, they absolutely put experiencing God as like top priority. So, mm. you know, the, the, the sort of, not, not as much as it used to, but the sort of the manifestations that we saw at Toronto and stuff like that, you know, they still appear occasionally at the church. And, you know, it, it's all to do with the connecting with the heart and experiencing God in, in our hearts. Mm. Uh, sometimes that has to bypass our brains you know, but God knows every, how everybody's wired and meets people, you know, yeah. where they're at. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I, I just absolutely love Phil. He's one of my favorite people. And like, I'm really privileged to call, count him a, a good friend. And yeah, I, I absolutely love doing things like this. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Well, hopefully you get to do more as well. Cause I, I, I love listening to the way you think. Um, I spend a lot less time on Facebook these days. I hate Facebook so much. And so the downside of that is I don't see you as much. And when I do go on, I'm just, there's comments everywhere, you know, because it seems that you've taken over Facebook in my absence every few days. <laughs> so, um, so I'm always inundated with all these profound thoughts or interesting conversations and comments. And so you're doing a great work. Uh, I really appreciate that you are, um, you have a desire to go into those people that have these um, very, uh, what me and you would agree on as toxic foundations in their belief and just yeah. maybe try and put some cracks in the foundations, you know, maybe, yeah, just, maybe see if we can encourage uh, that. It's, it's a beautiful amazing. Ministry, I mean, these things are absolutely foundational to the church, you know, and that, you know, a lot, sorry, large sections of the church. Mm. And, and it's crazy to me that they actually expect the church to succeed in some way when these things are just so absolutely yeah. abominations, I think, you know, but there yeah. you go. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's really wild. Well, love you, my friend. Thank you yeah, for coming you. on. And uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, but I'll see you it. soon. Yeah, see you. Bye. Thank All you. Right. Love you, man. All right. So that was Martin Fell, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope that the couple of technical glitches we had um, weren't too uh, problematic for you. Um, I did try and edit them down, and so they should have come out fairly smooth. Um, the wonders of doing everything online uh, in the in the COVID era and having to rely on things like Zoom and internet and data allowances and all sorts of different things. Um, you can track with Martin if you resonated with where he was at and what he was saying. You can follow him over on Facebook. It's martin.fell.7. Um, I do encourage you to send a message and he'll hook you up with some different groups that might be more suited to where you're at. Um, he, he is a great, uh, he's a prolific person on facebook and in facebook groups and so he knows all the facebook groups i'm much more an instagram guy as you know um but he knows everything and everyone on facebook that you need to know um, and so do shoot him a message let him know if you enjoyed this chat um do ask him for uh whatever um insight he might be able to give you on where to go on facebook to get some great encouragement and and education and community um for sure Talking of community, if you are deconstructing and you're feeling lonely in that journey, to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a great place to go and find people that are also deconstructing in your local area. Um, it's a big map of the, the whole world. Um, and there's people all over the world in 
dozens of countries all over the world that's growing every day um, who are going through deconstruction and the the desire and the, the heart behind it was so that people that feel alone can try and find people in their local area to connect with to hang out with to do coffee with to um, just slowly rebuild something uh, some semblance of community um, after coming out of uh, as most of us have come out of very deep tight communities that churches often can be um, it can be very hard to, to come out of that and transition um, and even when we have friends outside of the church uh, a lot of them aren't as interested in, in some of the spiritual aspects that we would love to talk about and, and process and so it's great to find someone that's on a similar journey similar page and so the deconstruction network is a great place to do that um, and if you want to support what I'm doing, thegracecourse.com. If you head there, you can become a partner, a monthly partner, and um, and donate uh, to, to what I'm doing. And that would be greatly appreciated. Everything I do for, is free. Everything will always be free. There will never be a need to give me any money for any purpose. My events, my um, my podcasts, talking to me, to people, um, you know, sitting down and having chats with people and helping them process their deconstruction is all free. Um, but that is only because uh, I managed to... Uh, get by on donations and so if you would like to support what i'm doing that would be a great help um and also something i'm really bad at uh, reminding people to do but if you listen to this on a podcast app or itunes or whatever um and you love it i would really really appreciate if you left a review on that app um you know leave a review on the itunes um uh, page for uh, for for the the phil drysdale show um let people know that it's a great show that would really help it helps more people discover it um give it a share let people know as well if you know other people that are deconstructing let them know what episodes you love what might be helpful that all helps a great deal um in spreading the word in helping people that are going through this process feel a little less alone a little less crazy anyway that's all for me i'll see you in the next episode